0: Thanks for listening to Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible, a new, much funnier translation of the entire Hebrew Bible. I'm David Tuckman, and I wrote the darn thing. If this is your first time listening, don't worry, you can jump right in. This month, we'll be talking about the dreams of Pharaoh and Joseph and what Judaism thinks of them. And there'll be a quick recap before we read the Bible stuff so that you can get caught up. If listening to every episode beforehand is more your thing, you can try the first three Just the Bible Bits episodes of the show, which will speed through the first 18 episodes, playing just the parts where we'll read the Bible. If you want to listen to every single episode, go to the massive SoundCloud playlist at www.soundcloud.com omgwtfbible, but that's if you have an extra 10 hours to spare. If you enjoy this month's show and have something you'd like to share, drop me a line at omgwtfbible at gmail.com. Or you can post a comment on the Facebook page at www.facebook.com omgbible, tweet at at omgwtfbible, or comment on the blog at www.omgwtfbible.com. You might also want to consider signing up for the mailing list by clicking on the link in the rightmost column on omgwtfbible.com. That way, you'll never miss a live show or podcast episode. Another way to make sure you're invited to every live show is to join the Facebook group, By searching for it on Facebook. If you like the podcast, please rate and review it in the iTunes Store. It only takes a minute and really helps. Enough of the preamble. Now, the recap. Previously, in the Bible, God created literally everything, including Yaakov and his son Yosef. Yosef pissed off his brothers, was sold into slavery, and was framed for sexual harassment and sent to prison. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 19 of Oh My God What the Fuck Bible with me, David Tuckman, coming to you from the Stanton Street Shul in front of a live audience. Let's hear it again, guys. Whoa! Yeah! Each month on the show, a guest joins me as we read as many chapters as possible of my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew while I make fun of it. Today is Thursday, March 20th, 2014. Uh, And I have something really exciting that I want to say. You may have heard about this. I'm really happy to announce uh, that Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible is teaming up with Juicy.com. What that means is that each new episode is going to appear on Juicy for a full day before it appears anywhere else on the internet. If you're listening to this right now on Juicy, this is an exclusive listening that you're getting Podcast subscribers are not going to hear this into, until tomorrow. So that's, I think, incredibly exciting. I'm really excited to see where that goes in the future. So let's hear it for Juicy.com. And the editor, Alyssa Goldstein, is here right now. Woo! I also want to say our next episode is at Beauty Bar on 14th Street on April 28th, a little bit more than a month from now, at 8 p.m. with a guest that I just confirmed last night, Leah Vincent, whose recent memoir, Cut Me Loose, is a really incredible book about her uh, leaving a very insular form of orthodox Judaism. So that's going to be a really exciting show. Be there for that. That goes up on the internet a week later on Juicy and a week and a day later if you're not on Juicy. Anyway, let's bring our guests on stage. Are you guys ready for your guest? Yeah. This guy is the rabbi of the Stanton Street Shul. Um, he has his own podcast or a series of podcasts where he uh, tackles modern Jewish dilemmas, where he goes into, uh, he discusses halacha in front of an audience right here in the standing street shul um, and he runs a really crazy blog where he talks about jewish issues please welcome rabbi josh uder <laughs> how are you rabbi Uter? i'm fine but technically aren't you my guest I I guess I am, because this is your shul, but I have the stender right now. You do, you do. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, I'm really excited. I want to give you something. This is something that I've been giving all my guests recently. Uh, This is the official OMGWTF Bible mug. It's got our beautiful logo printed on it. So... Everyone here can see how great it is, but our listeners probably can't. It's really great. I put pictures of it on the internet. It is not yet tobbled, so Ah. you have to take it to a mikvah before you can drink from it. Rub off the logo. No. No, it will not. Really? You can 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 immerse immerse it in a mikvah, and it'll be totally (laughs) fine. Uh, So you are – I like to talk to my guests about their religious background, um, obviously you are the rabbi of an orthodox school, you're an observant Jew. Um, how did you grow up? How did I grow up? Uh, well, my father was
1: a rabbi himself, okay. and he was a graduate of JTS back in the day when... The Jewish Theological the, Yes, yeah, the Jewish Theological Seminary of Conservative Judaism at a time when a really significant percentage of them were still fully observant, what you might call modern Orthodox today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a split, in which point he split too, but the ideology that is that he had from and what he learned there kind of uh, sustained all the way through. In fact, uh, I posted on my website his letter of resignation when he left the rabbinical assembly, and mm-hmm. most of the complaints he had against rabbinical assembly, he has against the Orthodox Jewish establishment. So yes, technically Orthodox, but the way that I was raised doesn't fit neatly into, well, this is conservative, this is Orthodox. It's on a completely different wavelength. Mm -hmm. So it involved, you know, certain approach to learning, a certain approach to questioning, uh, what's considered a good question, how do you go about answering those questions, what are better answers than others? So like going up, you know, growing up, I went to an Orthodox yeshiva, but the way it would usually work is I'd go to school, I'd learn stuff, I'd come home. My father would say, what did you learn in school today? I'd tell him, and then he'd go on a half-hour rant about <laughs> how my teacher was an idiot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's not really helpful when you're a teenager or younger, <laughs> like trying to sort of this stuff out, but it's
0: useful practice for real life. Mm-hmm. So you, you yourself don't necessarily fit into... Uh, an easily labeled position. I don't think
1: I so. No, I don't think so. Or at least not with a not with the language that people use a lot today of, especially within orthodoxy, modern orthodoxy, open Orthodox. Right. So a lot of those definitions don't really fit neatly, even though people might try to throw it. And honestly, it's never been something that I've cared about. If, if you had, how had to, label. how would you label yourself? Usually, I would, I, I would use something like modern orthodox simply because it would make sense to more people, Mm -hmm. even though I'm not entirely sure what the label means, because no one owns the term Orthodox, no one owns the term modern Orthodox. At least with conservative Judaism, you've got a clear body that can tell you, here's what conservative Judaism believes in any point. Mm -hmm. But we've been arguing over what we now call Orthodox Judaism for a really long time. So no one really owns the term anymore. So I use it because, as it is, you know, people don't really know what I'm talking about. So it's just easier to say modern Orthodox instead of, like, going through, you know, a half-hour discourse over Jewish sociology and Jewish
0: law. And if you want to hear one of those, you can tune into Rabbi Uder's podcast. Speaking of which, I mean, you, you, you're, you sort of have a project where you're laying out a pretty comprehensive uh, collection of your essentially your theological program, where you're going through halakha and uh, Jewish law and talking about how you interpret it. And you're also talking about your own Jewish philosophy. Um, A a little while ago, because this is focused on the text itself, you had a post online about uh, biblical criticism and Orthodox Judaism. Do Do you see the Torah that Orthodox Jews have right now as definitively the Torah that was given to them? By God Right, so what I
1: kind of argued um, uh, this actually came up over a year ago uh, due to another controversy that came up in Toronto, and I tried ex- you know giving at least some reconciliation between the thought of biblical criticism and still maintaining a traditional approach to faith. And one of the biggest challenges is that in the language of Maimonides, where he writes about the eighth principle of faith. He has 13. He has 13 of them. So this is number eight of 13. Right. He writes that a fundamental principle is believing that the Torah, that we have in our hands is what God gave to Moshe. When he writes the Mishnah Torah, which is his compendium of Jewish law, he takes out those two words of Hanim Tzit that we have today from the equation. And why is that important? Because even in the time of the Talmud, the actual text of the Torah was not entirely certain. Uh, They didn't know how many letters were in the Torah because Certain spellings, whether or not you had extra vav or extra yud, that would throw off the letter counting. It's also a good reason why the Bible codes are a complete scam. (laughs) Um, That alone, but there are also you know other textual variants that you find even in the time of the Talmud, and it hasn't gotten better since then. And once you've got one change, then it's no longer one hundred percent certain that the exact text that you have is what God gave Moses. But once you have that distinction, I think you wind up—you could, in theory, solve a lot of issues where you can still believe God gave a Torah to Moses, but that may not necessarily be the text that we're working with today. Mm-hmm. But if you, I would still say from a religious perspective, you still have to treat it as if this was the will of God. It might be the best that we have, but you treat it as the best that you have.
0: I like, I, that's interesting because it's a, um, it's an, it's a, it's a, Orthodox perspective where it, it accepts at least some pieces of biblical criticism. Well, let me stop you there. Very... I'm sure people would argue that what I just oh, said yes, is an course. orthodox. <laughs> right. Right. So there's a
1: whole fight about that. In fact, when I even argue that, um, one of the points I tried making was that Maimonides probably changed his mind because when he wrote the um, the 13 principles of faith, it was relatively early in his career. It would have been sometime when he was between 18 and 20. When he wrote the Mishnah Torah, it was. And we
0: know they know everything.
1: Right. I mean, how much did you know at 18? Everything. Yeah. Um, whereas when he wrote the Mishnah Torah, it was 40. So, one, you know, people were indignant. You tend to change your mind a little bit. Yeah, but people were indignant when I even suggested that maybe he actually changed his, you know, mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you can't say that. Like, if I were to go up to someone and say, the way that you think about things at 40 is exactly the same way you thought about when it was 18. You didn't learn anything new. You never developed your thought. People would take that as an insult. But yeah. there's no qualms about saying, no, Maimonides at 40 was exactly the same as Maimonides right. at 18.
0: I think when you're when you're talking about historical figures who lived you know centuries ago, it's a lot easier to flatten them and take the entire corpus of their text as something that was written at one time mm-hmm. and not to see development of... A human being in there. Yeah, and
1: even so, even taking that away, the the argument was, well, when Maimonides said, "Hunting with the Torah that we had in our hands," he didn't really mean it that literally. Like, well, even if I agree with that, it in no way negates what I just said in terms of the core argument of
0: Bible criticism. Mm-hmm. So, eh, what are you gonna do? Speaking of Bible, are you guys ready to hear what we're up to? Are you guys ready for the Bible? Because we got we to gotta race along. So let's get right into our reading. Um, to give you all a little bit of a recap, previously in the Bible, God created literally everything, including Yaakov and his son Yosef. Yosef pissed off his brothers, was sold into slavery, and was framed for sexual harassment and sent to prison. This is Torah, a loose translation. In the beginning, chapter 42, or Genesis 40, verse 1 to 40, Verse 23 in which Yosef acts as an unlicensed therapist. Yeah, but technically he was in prison at the time, so what are they going to do with him? <laughs> Send him to extra prison. He was the like, ruler of prison. He was the boss of the prison. All right. so. Demote him, at least. Okay. After that,
1: the king of Mitzrayim's official drink purveyor and his official baker screwed up. Paro blew his top at the two eunuchs. He handed the captain of cups and the captain of cakes in the custody of the captain of cooks, and they ended up in Yosef's dungeon. The captain of cooks put Yosef in charge of those eunuchs, so he attended to them. After a few days in Yosef's custody, both men dreamt on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Mm. When Yosef came to them in the morning, he saw that they were were both angry. Why do you have such sour faces today, Yosef asked the eunuchs. Maybe
0: because they're in jail. You'd yeah, think so, but why then? Why are you I mean, so you... sad?
1: But as opposed to any other day? Right. I mean, it must have been a very happy jail. If it just was one day. Bummer. Captain yeah. of Cooks. Cap- yeah. We both had dreams, they said, and we can't interpret them. But God can, Yosef said. Oh, gosh. Please tell me your dreams. Well, he was from. He was. So the Captain of Cups told Yosef his dream. I was in my dream, he said. I saw a vine in front of me. The vine had three branches. They blossomed before my eyes. The fruit came out, and the clusters became grapes. Paro's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, pressed them into Paro's cup, and put the cup in the palm of his hand. And then it spilled, because that's not how you hold cups. Unless he was making kiddush. (laughs) Maybe he was like this. You know, that's how people make kiddush. They hold the palm of their hand. hand hand hand. Yes, maybe he was doing kiddush. (laughs) (laughs) Paro was Jewish the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) This is my interpretation, Yosef said. the branches, Three branches represent three days. In three days, Paro will raise your head by restoring you to your former position. You will put Paro's cup into his hand like you used to when he
0: was in charge of his drinks. So Paro had a person whose entire job was to bring him drinks. I don't see why that's so shocking. No, but, it's not. He's a king. It's just, let's just, folk, let's just simmer on that for a moment.
1: Well, look, <laughs> P. Diddy has a guy who holds his umbrella. You this would is... think Paro has a guy who just serves him drinks. This is very true. <laughs> right? <laughs> Please, when you've been saved, remember me. "'Do me a favor and remind Paro about me "'so that I can be taken out of this place.' Because I have been kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and I have not
0: done anything worthy of being thrown in this pit. Uh Uh-huh, you're complaining to somebody who's in jail for getting a wine order wrong. You're preaching to the choir here. Yeah,
1: but dude, he had one job. I know, (laughs) I know. Uh, Also, you know, fun fact with the Midrash, in terms of... We're all innocent. Well, not all innocent. According to the Midrash, the thing that he got wrong was he brought Paro a cup of wine that had a fly in it. Right. Which, you know...
0: Well, you would think. What are you going to do? You have, well, well, maybe take it out before you give it to the king. Maybe, but you don't expect to go to jail. You don't serve a king <laughs> again. It's true, your only true. job to
1: give. And if listen, there was
0: a fly on that umbrella, P. Did it, would be pissed.
1: Exactly. Or it could be, Par asked him, what, this fly, what is this fly doing in my drink? And he said, the backstroke. Right. That alone <laughs> would be worthwhile getting to kind of It is impertinent. Yeah. Right? So, the captain of cakes thought this dream interpretation was pretty good. I also had a dream, he said to Yosef, there were three wicker baskets on my head.
0: So, in translating this, I've discovered that apparently, I might have missed it, but the adjective describing the baskets is yet another word lost to history. Maybe it means wicker, it could also mean white, or that the baskets were full of white bread. The (laughs) top basket held all the baked goods Paro
1: eats. A bird ate from the basket while it was still on my head. This is what I see, Yosef answered. Oh, boy. Three baskets are three days. In three days, power will raise your head by removing it from your body. Then mm-hmm. he'll hang you from a big tree, and birds will eat your flesh.
0: Ew, and weirdly specific.
1: And you should know this is actually like the second connection to perm so far that we've probably right. seen. We yes. just had perm this past week. Wine and so first, we we'll not no first we have the eunuchs. Oh right, right because you've got <laughs> you've got that thing with Cerise Paro that mm-hmm. you know in the Sarise Hamela that's sometimes the referred the to as eunuchs. The
0: eunuchs of power and the eunuchs
1: of chaos. Fairly good. Then you got a guy Paro. that was hanged. Right, right. We got we got another one later on too. Anyway, three days later, it was Paro's birthday. He made a party for all of his slaves. He had no friends, only slaves. Well, why didn't he throw a party for himself, you know? Right. It's like, hey, it's my party. Slaves. It's true. At least he's letting the slaves party. So he raised the heads of the captain of cups and the captain of cakes from among his slaves.
0: Okay, so maybe Yosef just knew that this was something Paro did on his birthday, and his dream interpretation was a little weak. And you'd also think, like he said, in three days, wouldn't you think more people knew about Paro's birthday? Oh, everyone knew about Paro's birthday. They got the invitation six weeks ago. Did they put up signs in the prison I'm like, sure.
1: uh you're not going to be there. <laughs> and they were going to But you th- have to cater it. <laughs> there were going to be clowns. This is the cook jail. Uh, uh, the captain of cups was, re- was was returned to his bacchanal... I cannot pronounce that word. Bacchanalic duties. Thank you. I know what it means. I was, <laughs> I was not going to get that. And put a cup in Paro's palm. The captain of cakes was hanged the way Yosef described. Unfortunately, the captain of cups did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Drink responsibly. Well, two things there. First off, it's not like the captain of cakes remembered him either. No, but he was dead. Well, right. So he had a good excuse. There's also a fun midrash in terms of why did he forget him yes. uh, that explains that the captain of cups the, actually wanted to remember, but an angel came down and kept messing up with his thoughts. So he then tried tying An knots. Angel to named Absinthia. Yeah, sorry. Well, maybe. <laughs> oh, hey, makes the heart go. You know. Anyway, um, he tried tying knots, and this angel kept untying them. And then the midrash blames him for forgetting. It's a kind of weird midrash because the one he's trying to, yeah. this angel messes it up, and then it's like, ha, ah, you didn't remember him, but I, God, I
0: remember everything. So I will remember Joseph. That's chapter forty-two. Let's hear it for chapter 42. We don't cover the sound. We will. The songs from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat covered in chapter 42, Go, 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 Joseph. This is Genesis 41.1 to 41.45, chapter 43 of In the Beginning, in which the freaking captain of cups finally remembers Joseph. Exactly two years later, Paro had a dream. On his birthday. Behold,
1: he was standing by the river, behold again seven beautiful bulls full of healthy meat rose from the river and grazed in the marsh gentlemen behold a third time <laughs> nope uh, sorry wow. not sure if anyone else here would get that it's a deep cut thank you <laughs> Se- i told you no one understands what i'm talking about here seven other bulls emerged Awkward from the river teen hunger So there you go these bulls were ugly and emaciated and stood next to the other bulls on the banks of the river the ugly, thin bulls ate the seven beautiful, healthy bulls. Phil Jackson, unavailable for coming. <laughs> Paro woke up. Yeah, okay, so that you guys got. All right. Paro woke up.
0: He went back to sleep and dreamed a second time. I hope he got a glass of water in between. Well, he had a Saramashkin he back. Peed. So he peed, like, yeah. Hey, dude, he didn't even have to wine. get up. Exactly. Had some wine, went right back in. No cakes, though.
1: In this dream, seven sheaves of grain spouted from a single stalk. These sheaves were healthy and good. Seven more, these thin and blighted and scorched, grew close behind them. Then the seven thin sheaves devoured the seven healthy and full sheaves. Paro awoke. That was his dream. Mm -hmm. That morning, Paro was all freaked out and stuff. He said, for all the magicians of Mitzrayim and all the wise men. First the magicians, then the wise men. Priorities. Well, it's not just priorities. The wise men knew to keep their distance from Paro. <laughs> That's Dude, why they were wise. temper. <laughs> yeah. Right? So let the magicians go. Go to jail for yeah, a flying gonna your We're going to go glass. second. You listen to the magicians <laughs> first. It's okay. All right. That's why they were wise. Paro told his dream to them. But they had no clue what it meant. Uh, although, again, here, the midrash says it's not that they didn't ha- have an idea. They're saying, Well, they gave interpretations, but Paro just didn't like what those were. Um, so the captain of cups spoke up. I'm going to remind you of my sins for a second, <laughs>
0: which was a dangerous thing
1: to do. It really was. Uh, he said to Paro, the Lord Paro was pissed at his slaves and I was placed in the custody of the captain of cooks, me and the captain of cakes. He's dead. One night, both of us dreamt to dreams, each with its own meaning. There was a Hebrew kid in there with us, a slave of the captain of cooks. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them. He interpreted both of our dreams. Uh-huh. Everything he told us came true. I got my job back, and the captain of cakes was hanged. Neglected to mention, and birds picked at his body. Eh, details, but you know, yeah, good yeah. times had by all. Well, almost all. Uh, Paro summoned Yosef, and he was rushed from the pit. The
0: pit, the same word used for the place his brothers put him. There is no
1: escape from the. <laughs> do not try escaping from the pit of despair. Uh, they shaved him, changed him, and put him in front of Paro.
0: I had a dream, Pharaoh said to Yosef, and I have... That cows would not be judged by the color of their spots, but how quickly they could eat each other. And I have no... (laughs) (laughs) And I have no idea what the hell it means. I've been there.
1: Yeah, I've heard that you can explain dream. I don't do anything, Yosef said. God will respond and will say how is doing. Mm -hmm. In my dream, Pharaoh said to Yosef, I was standing on the shores of the river. Seven beautiful bulls full of healthy meat came out of the river and grazed in the marsh. Behold, there were seven other bulls. These ones were really, really ugly and emaciated. I have never seen bulls all this gross in all of Mitzrayim. The thin, disgusting bulls ate the seven healthy ones. The bulls were inside them, but you couldn't tell they were inside them (laughs) because they still looked as bad as they did at first. Then I woke up. In my second dream, I saw seven nice full sheaves of grain growing on a single stalk. Behold, seven withered thin sheaves scorched by easterly winds grew close behind them. The thin sheaths swallowed the seven good ones. I told my magicians all of this. They had nothing to
0: teach me. One of them found a whole bunch of money in my ear, though. Uh,
1: I don't know. Maybe this is where Monsanto also got its start. Paro's you know, dream, Yosef said, is one single dream God is using to speak to Paro. The seven good bulls represent seven years. The seven good sheaves are also seven years. Oh, it's a metaphor. That's why it's one dream. The seven thin gross bulls that, uh, that came after them are also seven years. And these seven withered, weather-beaten sheaves represent seven years of famine. This is what I think God is trying to show Pharaoh. The next seven years are going to be insanely plentiful throughout Mitzrayim. But seven years of famine will come right after them. The famine will so throttle Mitzrayim, and the good years will be forgotten. No one will remember if there had been years of bounty. That's how crippling the family will be. Okay, we get it. That's why you couldn't see the good animals after the bad ones ate him. These things happen twice in Paro's dreams to show that it's on its way. God's going to make this happen very soon. To stop this, Paro should find a wine-smart man and give him control of Mitzrayim. Hint, hint. Then Paro should let this man appoint clerks throughout the land who will prepare during the seven years of abundance. During the good years, they'll gather a fifth of all the food. They'll collect grain and give it to Paro so it can be kept guarded in the cities. When
0: the famine hits, this food will be used to save the country so it won't be decimated. Sounds a lot like socialism, Yosef, or should I say Obama? This is all pretty good. Looked all pretty good to Paro and his slaves. It's not like the slaves are going to disagree.
1: Uh, can we find a man like the one he's talking about? Paro said to his slaves, "One who has the spirit of God within him." Considering God has revealed all this to you, Paro said to Yosef, "I don't think anyone is more wiser, intelligent than you are." Here's what we're going to do. You're in charge now. When you speak, all of Mitzrayim will listen. Only my throne will be
0: above you. I just gave you all of Mitzrayim. So Yosef was just appointed right-hand man to the monarch based on a dream. This is pre-Arab Spring
1: yeah well
0: you know we've we've not democracy yet
1: uh, you consider the reasons why people vote other people in office doing (laughs) it on a dream is one of the least insane reasons maybe it's like i know more services with lower tax cuts and yeah we're all gonna have a balanced budget and all that stuff yeah i can't really blame him on the dream stuff no uh paro took his ring off his hand and gave it to yosef dressed him in linen no corduroy though and another per metaphor Giving the ring off, passing it over. That's right. uh, And put a gold chain around his neck.
0: Yosef truly was the coolest man in Mitzrayim.
1: He carried Yosef in his backup chariot and said the word Avrech was called out whenever Yosef went.
0: So nobody knows what Avrech meant. There's some disagreement. Some people think it means prince or something like that. Or that it was a command to people to bow down to Yosef. Another Purim Mm.
1: connection. Paro appointed Yosef over the entire land of
0: Mitzrayim. I am the
1: Paro, Paro said to Yosef. Yep. And without you, no one would lift a hand or leg in all of Mitzrayim. Paro called Yosef Safnat Paneach or gave, and gave
0: him Osnat, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On as his woman. Okay. So Safna Paneach, according to Rashi, means decipherer of the cryptic. Also, according to Rashi, the word Paneach is not even similar to any other word in all of the Tanakh. So how does he know what it means? He's Rashi. Also, Rashi says that Potipharah, the uh, priest of On and father of Osnat, is actually Yosef's old boss, Potiphar. Apparently, his name had been changed to Potipharah to indicate to us that he had become impotent, uh, or he had already been a eunuch. Why is he impotent? God had stolen his virility because, according to Rashi again, Potiphar desired Yosef for gay sex, which... Okay, sure, but if that's true, when Potiphar's woman was chasing Yosef around the house every day, why was Potiphar so mad? Also, right now, Rashi just looks like he's spreading gossip. An important thing here to note with Rashi, um, you know, they talk
1: about in shul every Friday night when, you know, we dive in here, I do something for Midrash Rabba. So, and when I say Midrash, I usually refer specifically to Midrash Rabbah. Most of Rashi isn't really original. Right. Most of what Rashi says is he's quoting some he's rabbinic very midrash. good
0: summary of a lot of other sources.
1: I wouldn't even say or a summary. Know. He yeah. sort of like picks it, because a summary would be like real more comprehensive. If you really right. like pick stuff out, a lot of it's from Midrash Rabbah. There's Tanchuma, Bavli, Ushami, like a whole bunch of other rabbinic texts. Yes. So it's not really Rashi as much as what is he choosing and i a fascinating study for anyone who isn't me would be to figure <laughs> out like what were the actual texts rashi had in front of him hmm. and why did he pick the midrashim that he picked because there's a whole bunch of other stuff out there some of which contradicts it right. it's not that one thing is better than others and one of the reasons why i like teaching the midrash in the full is you sometimes get a much bigger picture than just what rashi happens to quote and then you say oh here's what chazal were trying to teach And Joseph Joseph left, ruling over the land of Mitzrayim.
0: That's chapter 43. Songs from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat covered in this chapter. This was a thick one, and there were a lot of songs. And Trocked, I don't know what that song is. uh, Pharaoh's Story. Poor, Poor Pharaoh, Song of the King, Pharaoh's Dream Explained, Stone the Crows, and something called King of My Heart, which I don't think I've ever heard and was probably in the 60s version and then killed. Yeah, they, they, they did a few yeah. modifications with that. So we
1: actually had a vinyl of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that I dug up recently in a move, and it's like this weird 70s funk thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, when Power did his dream, the uh, Elvis impersonation wasn't nearly as pronounced <laughs> as it was in the later uh, really? movies. Yeah. That was something which they just completely but ran thats
0: But he's the king. That's the whole point.
1: I get very, that, I'm but very they, confused. Maybe they thought it was overkill in the seventies, which should tell you something. I, I mean, <laughs> maybe
0: he had just passed away. You've turned my world upside or down. Or did he? <laughs> yes, yes he did. Okay, let's do chapter 44. This is Genesis forty one forty six to forty one fifty seven. It's a short one. Yeah. In which Yosef consolidates his ridiculous power.
1: So Yosef was just thirty years old when he stood before Paro, king of Mitzrayim.
0: Thirty, this jerk.
1: You know, wait a second. (sighs) What have you done? Nothing. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) Well, look at it this way. It could be Yosef was the original gangster. Think about it this way. He started his career in jail got himself a gold chain, and then took over the entire country. In a day. Like, (laughs) in a day. Yeah. Like, drug dealers could wish they had that type of career. He's the
0: original Scarface. He's the original
1: gangster. Well, he was the gangster, you know? He was the OG. And he had street street cred. So (laughs) Yosef left power and walked through the entire country. During the seven years of plenty, the land produced a buttload of food. During those years, Yosef collected all the country's
0: food and put it in the cities. All the food from the fields encircling the cities were stored within them. I'm hoping that I translated this wrong, and it means the excess food and not all the food, but...
1: The grain Yosef collected was like the sands of the seas, so plentiful that he stopped counting... Wait, does that mean he was counting every single grain? Because (laughs) no number goes that high. Um, map? Yeah, but... (laughs) Think about it this way. When you're, like, etching stuff on stone, yeah. right, you can kind of, <laughs> like, run out of material there. At that point. Yeah. Uh, but as the before the years of famine came, Yosef had two sons, born to him by Osnat, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Yosef I, named the first... Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yosef named the first one Menashe, because God made me forget... All of my suffering in my father's
0: house. Menasha comes from a root that is shared with the word for made me forget. Also, Yosef being proud of forgetting his father's house does not bode well for his. Uh, or every his time, therapy
1: session. Also, every time you call him Menasha, it's like, oh, why
0: did I call you Menasha? Because I forgot <laughs> oh, right, something. things my painful <laughs> oh, <wait a> childhood. <laughs> it's like remembering a <laughs> yeah. We're
1: supposed to bl- yeah remember to f- not yeah, Rema- rem-
0: remember to blot out the memory. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Kind of stuck there, uh, so he named the second son Ephraim because he said, "God has made me fruitful in the land of my hardship." Ephraim shares a root with the word for fruitful. Yeah, the seven years of plenty came to, came to Sorry, The seven years of plenty that came to Mitzrayim ended as quickly as they began, just as Yosef said, seven years of crushing famine struck." It came to all lands. All lands, or all lands in the ancient Near East. So there's actually a midrash that says it refers to, actually have it here, uh, specifically the three surrounding lands. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it says here, Phoenicia, Arabian, and Palestine. The midrash. So it's not like everything, just the, the one. entire planet. Well, for them it was. <laughs> right, exactly. So it works for them. Um, uh, but throughout. But throughout Mitzrayim, there was bread. All of Mitzrayim starved. They cried out to Paro for bread. Well, there was bread, but no one was allowed to eat it. Well, at least he said, let him eat, you know, let him eat cake. <laughs> That would have been... Anyway, that's eight. Uh, never mind. <laughs> go to Yosef. Paro said to all the Mitzrayim. Logistically, what, that makes no sense. Why? <laughs> to all of them? Well, you, when you have slaves... You didn't have microphones.
0: No, but you had slaves. They're kind of like your megaphones. That's true. It's like, it yeah. was like the, uh, the, the people's megaphone at Occupy. It,
1: there you go. Perfect. Whatever he says to you, that's what you'll do. Famine crept across the land. Yosef opened the storehouses and rationed the food out to Mitzrayim. But the famine got worse. All people came to Mitzrayim to buy food from
0: Yosef as famine engulfed the planet. Or just three countries. Let's hear it for Rabbi Yudar, chapter 44. Oh, man. That was a lot. We've just set up a whole, a whole like, so many things happened. <laughs> I'm, I'm so lost because so much just happened right now. Um, But what I'm going to try to do is what we always do at this point. We have a segment called the Devar Torah in which we try to have a literal Devar Torah and sum up everything we've read so far into a single word. So Rabbi Uter, what one word would you use? All right, so the
1: cop-out would be dream. Right. Um, So we're not going to go there. Um, With dreams, I would say vulnerability or uncertainty Hmm. because there's something characteristic about dreams where it comes to us when we're in a very vulnerable state. We're unconscious. We're sleeping. I mean, yeah, most of the time Uh, not referring to like daydreams and stuff, but like it comes to you and you can, you know, wake up and it's something just these random ideas in your head. You don't know how they got there. You're not really in control of them and they can uh, create such a really strong personal reaction and when you don't know what that means that can be incredibly scary Mm -hmm. so there's this degree of uncertainty that comes out that you really want someone to help explain that to you because maybe it probably means something because otherwise what what could it mean like why did i just do this yeah and you know if it's Internally, like you want to take a Freudian side that your dreams reflect something about you, well, maybe it reveals a truth that you really don't want to deal with. Yeah. Right? That you, you know, there's a reason why we suppress stuff to our subconscious, right? Sometimes it's for better reasons than others and, you know, sometimes it's for healthier reasons than others and you just don't want to deal with that. That comes
0: out. That's really frightening. Yeah. My word was um, redemption. Hmm. Um, because this is, a, you know, when we, when we finished the previous episode, Joseph or Yosef was at his lowest point. Um, and here is where things finally start to turn around. And his the dreams that he dreamt back when he was in uh, Canaan start to come true. And he, he starts to fulfill his destiny. This is like the upswing part of the story. But why redemption? Redemption usually means oh, like you did something wrong and then you got better. Um, Maybe not redemption or um, turning point. Turning point or um, told you so. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) but that's 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 three words. Yeah, yeah. next time is the told you so. But what what you said is interesting. I've been reading about dreams in preparing for this one um, for this episode. I tried to finish Freud's uh, dream book, um, but it's like eight hundred pages, so that didn't happen. But It, what's interesting to me is that this very much reflect or how people treat dreams here um in this episode and when joseph had or joseph had his dreams around his family around his brothers is uh within the context at that point people saw dreams as either like telling about a thing that had happened mm-hmm. reflecting something that's going on right now or as predicting the future right and People immediately say, "Okay, what does this dream predict?" which is not something that we do now we we tend to think of dreams as reflecting a vulnerability, reflecting our unconscious. so I thought about that and tried to figure out what if we were to use that kind of analysis um, as you said, what pharaoh's or what Paro's unconscious might be saying with this dream and there is an idea that like river I started with the idea that rivers from which the um rivers from which the cows emerge reflect fertility or mm-hmm. can reflect sperm. Um, and cows tend to reflect, like livestock would reflect fertility too. And um, the wheat probably also reflects fertility. And I realized that maybe Faro's scared that he doesn't have an heir. And that's what's going on. He's maybe, maybe he had some children or he's afraid of having, or he's scared that he's not going to have a strong heir, which to me kind of made... What happens next click? That when Yosef comes out and has this really strong interpretation, he just gives him the entire
1: country. Also, more than that, the, uh, according to the Midrash, when the magicians uh, gave him an interpretation that he did not like, one of those interpretations involved he was going to have seven kids and they were all going to die. Oh, so, you know, it could very well be. It's like, yeah, I don't want to wrestle with my own mortality. Right. I'd rather wrestle with the more t-
0: potential mortality of everyone else. Yeah, Because it's a whole lot easier to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to me, it just, that's why he, he just clicks and gives it to him so fast. He sees him as his potential heir to carry on his uh, pharaohic legacy, mm. I suppose. Who knows? Well, there was an element also of the pharaoh, pharaoh being a god.
1: Yeah. So if Joseph has some sort of divine based skill, right, that's you know, usually having some divine skill or is usually a good thing to have on your resume when you're applying for the position of God. So, you know, <laughs> if you don't have any of those natural heirs,
0: like, hey, you do godlike stuff, you, you might be able to fill this in. Yeah. I think, that's, I think we're going to wrap this up cool. um, in just a second, but I think we we did some, we had some really cool conversation. If you, as the audience, want to stay after, you can ask us any questions you like, or if you have any thoughts you'd like to share on what you read, please stay and talk. Um, Rabbi Uter, as I write down what you're going to say, do you have any plugs, or do you have anything any, you'd like our audience or our listeners to check out? Uh, well, sure. First and
1: foremost, check out the Stanton Street Show. Um, It's where we happen to be recording this. We're at 180 Stanton. Um, Shabbos services are 9.30 every week, though people (laughs) tend to have their own times when they wish to come. Um, we got two classes a week uh, which all get posted online. I think they're a lot more fun in person because then you get to be, you know, actively involved in part of the discussion. Um, you can check out stantonstreetshule.com for, um, events and updates. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash
0: Um, and yeah, just come to shule. What about you? Is there anything anywhere on the internet people can connect with Ah,
1: you? Yeah, if you're interested in my stuff, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at at Jay Uter. Uh, Though I warn you, it's mostly bad jokes. Um, (laughs) My website is joshuter.com, very easy to remember. Um, and that's where you can find not only the audio recordings of the uh, classes that I give here, but I also post source sheets if you want to follow along, or if you think I'm completely crazy and want to take this stuff to another rabbi and have him explain all the stuff <laughs> that I spoke. That's actually an important point about why I do that, why I, I'm... Really insists on giving out sources because it's not about me. It's like here are sources. Here's what I think it means. If you mm-hmm. don't like it, you know, don't like what I said. Well, then take these sources, to someone else, and have someone else do a better job. Yeah. Um, so feel free to you know check out all that and uh, yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Rabbi Uter. Thank you for having me. It's been it's been a real pleasure. I want to thank uh, some people at the Standing Institute. I want to thank Ephraim Rinsky and Ray Katz for helping make this happen. Yep. Um, I want to thank our audio engineer John Passaro. Wendy Chin from Marketing Materials. Again, Rabbi Uter for being our amazing guest tonight. Our live audience, thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out next month at Beauty Barn on 14th Street on April 28th at 8pm with Leah Vincent because next month in the Bible, Yosef's brothers have bad vision. <laughs>